Welcome on board the Tories podcast. This is an alternative travel guide with the funniest people on the planet and me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. Discover some gems right on your doorstep or visit somewhere completely new, all alongside your favourite comedians and well-known faces. Buckle up, enjoy your journey and do try to keep all personal items with you. Your tour guide for this episode is truly international. He's an award-winning writer and stand-up comedian. He's originally from Malawi and began his comedy career in Canada and now lives in Manchester in the UK. In 2017, he happened to come third on a little TV show called Britain's Got Talent. And in 2018, he was commissioned for a second series of his BBC Radio 4 show, Citizen of Nowhere. And in the same year, began his first headline world tour called What the African Said. It's the brilliant Deliso Chaponda! And we're off to discover a place full of wonder, beauty and books. Lots of them. About 250,000 to be exact. Deliso! Hello! Hello! How are you doing, Vic? I'm good. Welcome to Tourist Podcast. Thank you for being a tourist. Awesome. Awesome. This is funny because I have mocked tourists all my youth. Because, like, in Central Africa, we look upon these tourist types who come to Africa looking at animals and acting ridiculous as somewhat silly. So, I am a tourist today. No giraffes. <laughs> no deal. Well, we might see some animals. It is Manchester. <laughs> this is true. So we are on Deansgate Locks. And the reason why I wanted to meet you here is across the road we can see the comedy store. Comedy store. It's like my hub, my home comedy store. I, it's probably the club I am in the most often because it's just down the road from where I live. So I, every two weeks I try out jokes there. Plus I do gigs there. So it's like a second home to you. So I first saw you at the Comedy Store in 2006. Yes. Well, yeah, when you were very, when you were, that was like when you came. You literally saw me just as I came to the UK. So I was a bar lady Ah. at the Comedy Store. And I remember you doing open spots there. Yes, yes. I I did the whole mill from open spots to little 20 minute spots to... And interestingly, I was doing their new stuff gigs regularly long before I actually started doing weekends. Yeah, so tell me about that time. What was it like starting out in Manchester? It was weird because I had advanced my way gradually with, you know, tooth and claw in Canada from open spot to being someone who opened quite regularly. And then I had been demoted back to the beginning. And it was very frustrating because I knew I was funny enough. But I had to jump through the hoops all over again. It didn't take as long. But yeah, I remember being frustrated. And then it took around a year or two before people started giving me uh, some respect. (laughs) 
the respect I deserve. And yeah. you've not given up, and you've no. And and now I'm touring and stuff like that. So uh, it's interesting because I I almost didn't almost give up, but I kind of resigned myself to a certain kind of circuit comic life. And then out of the blue, out of nowhere, uh, it changed up. So I'm on a second lease of life. Oh, do you know what? I'm I'm dead chuffy. I am. Yes. And we're going to talk about that lease of life in yes. a bit when we have a walk up to where we're going. So awesome. When I said, Deliso, do you want to do tourists? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yes. Because you're such a busy man, yes. you chose somewhere that I thought you would bloody love. This makes sense because you chose a library, right? Yeah. And I am a writer. I am addicted to books. People know you as a comedian, don't know you so much as a writer. Yeah, the writing came first. So I was writing fiction for years. Uh, and from year to year, I would either make more money from comedy or make more money from writing. And I did both and I didn't consider them... I'm just a writer. Sometimes I write funny things. Sometimes I write science fiction. And they were just... It's just recently, it's been comedy 80%, writing 20%. But the writing is going up because I'm doing stuff for the BBC and stuff like that now. What a good place to be. Yes. Would you would you like it to be 50-50 or are you no, happy? No, no, no. As long as I'm living off writing, I don't care what I'm writing. Do you know what I mean? It's like I love performing, so I always will be performing. But if I was ever a year when I mostly wrote, I'd be entirely happy because for me, the joy is the writing. I read somewhere on the internet... They described you as a promiscuous writer. <laughs> and I don't and I was like, yes. that's a really odd no, word. No, that is actually that's me describing myself. Okay, that was because you. I am not faithful to any style or genre. Yeah. So there are people who only write horror or only write literary stuff or only write humor. I write whatever strikes my fancy. So you're you're a bed hopper of genres. Yes I am. I <laughs> love it. So we're gonna go to John Ryland's library. Yeah. And John Ryland's library was built a long time ago. 1900s and John Ryland's missus Mrs. Ryland I can't remember was murdered no no the way you set it up I was expecting something dramatic Mrs. built it for him in memory of John Ryland much sweeter than where I was going <laughs> she killed him she buried him <laughs> in the library indeed <laughs> he was like this really like amazing entrepreneur mill owner okay millionaire and he was a very good dude. So he gave to orphanages and shit. And she was like, because he's been such a good egg, we're going to build a library for him. Lovely. Even though he was dead and he couldn't use it. But it was for the people of Manchester. Okay. What are you writing at the minute? What's So right now I'm writing a novel and I'm writing uh, my next year's... I, I did a sort of half stand-up, half play kind of radio show for Radio 4. So I'm writing that second series plus a novel. So that was The Citizen of nowhere nowhere Citizen yes of nowhere i tried to listen to it but the bloody i play it it's run out i can't there's this thing which is frustrating about the bbc in that they they have it for around a month after it airs and then it disappears while i think they need to take on like the netflix kind of model and just have it always available i think this could save them because you know everybody's worried because the BBC not people don't pay their license fees but imagine it became a Netflix model and you pay the equivalent of maybe double license fee and you get an access to everything they've ever done get on it BBC they'll need programmers and all sorts it's much more complicated than that but I yeah. think that would be great yeah sort of on demand on demand everything yeah. What are you watching on Netflix, by the way, at the minute? Uh, well, right now, I don't watch a lot because I'm super busy. 
but if I am watching something, I probably I usually watch science fiction stuff. So does that influence your writing, the sci-fi writing? No, no, no actually. Part of the reason I don't watch anything that could influence me. So oh. I watch very little stand-up. I only watch like my favorite favorites because I'm afraid of being influenced. And I don't watch anything funny because I'm afraid of being influenced. But I can watch a really serious end-of-the-world kind of science fiction grim thing because that's nothing like anything I write and there's stuff which I love which I'm sure I love but I'm storing it up until I'm, I'm ready there's something called The Good Place which is about heaven or something but my novel set in heaven so even though everyone says you love it I'm storing it until I finish I love that so you're, you've got your little blinkers on yes you got it you got it otherwise you'll steal and you don't even know you're stealing. absolutely that's that's a good that's a really strict way to be in a good way to be you know when you hear comedians accused of stealing stuff sometimes they're thieves sometimes they're just someone who's consumed so much comedy over the years that 10 years later they just regurgitate something that they saw 10 years ago and they think they thought of it it's easier to just not watch a lot do you avoid christmas crackers at christmas <laughs> those jokes are so bad it's fine, <laughs> it's fine. talking about so writing where's your wh- where do you write what do you have like a little den or i generally just write at home i can write anywhere there's no method to it so shall we go to the library let's roll let's go we set off the short walk up Dean's Gate to the library and a little heads up here. Dean's Gate is one of the busiest main roads through the city centre. So the sound might get a little trafficy, but like with a pacer train episode, it's like you are here with us. It's Saturday morning. I can't believe we've come out on a Saturday morning. I know, I know. This was my only little gap. You've grabbed me between South Africa and Edinburgh. My little jaunt through Manchester. Oh, do you know, I feel privileged that I've got your little spare time. Yes, you did. Oh, brilliant. So something happened, like, about 12 months ago that's changed your life. Yes. Tell me about that. What happened? So I was frustrated with just stand-up comedy in general. I felt I was always funny, but I couldn't get to the next... I went for hundreds of auditions. Nothing came of it. And producers would give me very vague reasons why they, they aren't taking you. And so I just got frustrated and I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to try something insane. I'm going to go on a reality show. And so I did Britain's Got Talent. And the year before, a friend of mine, Tony Vino, and he was like, should I do it? I said, do it. And he said, no. I said, do it. And eventually his wife convinced him not to do it. And I was like, well, I was pushing him to do it. Why don't I do it? And that's pretty much part of how I ended up doing it. And it went much better than I thought. I mean, I didn't go up with it. I just thought I'm going to get a nice video. So I thought I'd be knocked out because I'm much older than what I thought was their target age group. Yeah, I did, I did pretty well. You got to file of Britain's did. Got Talent. I, I came third. It was good. It was very good fun. And it's chained everything. I mean, the tour sold out. All these things which I've mentioned in passing, like the radio show and other possible projects which are in the works have all come from it. It just rippled everything out of control. And how's your fellow comedian community, have they responded to to having success via a talent show? Well, I think this is the thing. The ones who are your friends are happy for you, extremely happy for you. In fact, when I was doing it, I was embraced by so much support, it was absurd. So that was like, 80%, 80%, right? And then there are a few grumpy people who accuse you of selling out or something like that. And I'm like, selling out how? I'm being funny. That's our job. But that's 20%. As long as 80% of the people support you, you feel good. Yeah. 
the interesting thing is I've never understood what people mean by that. Now, if we were like Salman Rushdie types and we're writing deep tomes and in order to go on something mainstream, you have to pervert your deep aspirations and do some silly, silly pulp fiction. I could see how you could say that's selling out. But our job is telling knob gags. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there is nothing remotely pretentious about being a comedian. You are, you know, the arts council don't even recognize it as an art. We are not ballet dancers, you know? <laughs> so I've never understood that because to me it was just, I just did what I always do. But the success that's, that's come from it, it's just incredible. Oh, so it's insane. It's insane. So let's talk about the tour. Did you have 20 dates to start off with? 20 at, 20 at first, and now it's a total of 80. And we just kept adding because people were buying tickets. When we started, it was all very like, will people buy tickets? Because no comedian who had sort of done as well as I did. And so the question was, was it going to translate to ticket sales or not? And it did. I've l- I was looking at the dates the other day, and you're, li- you're literally touring until Christmas Eve Eve. Yes. Yes. And is there more beyond that? Well, right now I'm writing the next tour. So the way that I actually would ideally do it is I would like to finish this tour and begin previewing the next tour for around six months and then start touring the next one immediately. Now, there's a lot of, you know, business types who've got their own strategy, but that's my artistic art. Yeah. You, you, you don't shy away from the old controversy, which is fantastic. I love it. But you've had to change your sets depending on where you're yes. gigging. No, I change my set because some stuff is not relevant to other places. No, of course. Like, not to get too geeky, but like in my current show, the sort of signature section is a 15-minute section where I talk about how people who are overstepping the line with race are treated. And my examples are Katie Price, Anne-Marie Morris, right. and Joe Marney, who was, you know, the ex-girlfriend of the UKIP council. Now, it's a big 15, 20 minute, which is entirely unusable outside the UK because it's so British. While there are other bits which are about love and arguing with a girlfriend that I can talk about anyway. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, though, is there's some stuff you can translate. So there's some stuff you can do the same joke. You just plug in a reference. Yeah there as opposed to a reference here. Now, are you thinking about that when you're writing your jokes? Like, I could take that name out, put that name in, or change that reference? No, no, I just do that closer to the date. But what I do do is I assign myself writing time based for certain shows. So if I'm going to another country, I'm like, okay, prepare a 20-minute set for that country, and then I have to go through my jokes. I've got an, an absurd database, and I can tick, this one will work there, this one will, like I'm thinking of going to Australia next year, so I'll go through the database and put ticks next to everything that might work there. And then if I've not got enough, I'll need to write. Oh my, I love a spreadsheet. Yes. Oh, you, you love, mine is a spreadsheet, but not enough. This is a database. You can plug in things like clean and all the clean jokes appear. You can plug in jokes which work in Africa and they all appear. Oh. Oh, I am wowed by the complexity of such a database. But from working with creative types for many, many, many years, this level of organisation is unheard of. In terms of joke writers, there are actually a lot of us because I actually find it very much like writing a programme or solving a math equation because you've got a problem, which is, let's say, a news story. And then you're playing it in your head and trying to play with logic. 
So they're lo especially one-liner guys. A lot of them used to be like people like Gary Delaney. A lot of them have technical background because it's that kind of brain. But then I remember Delisa used to be, before all this comedy, a programmer. I wonder what Delisa would be doing if he wasn't making people laugh. If I couldn't be a comedian anymore, I'd probably do something writing like journalism because the gap between what I'm doing and that is less than the gap between comedy and programming. Or I could be a politician. I can make good speeches. Yes. It's the same skill. Or a preacher. I could start a... You'd be a really good preacher, by the way. I think I could. Yeah. I think I could. Um, You'd convince me to believe in God. <laughs> Only problem is I'd be very hypocritical. Oh, here we are. <laughs> right, we're here. We are at John Ryland's library. It looks like the entrance of Hogwarts. I know. This is why I wanted to take you. Cause do you are you a Harry Potter fan? I am a Harry Potter fan. Who is not? Me, How could but... Not be? What? I know. I'm what? taking your British citizenship away from you. <laughs> You're going to fight me for it, at least. It looks like a, a church or a cathedral. So, and... yeah. So, John and his missus were non-conformist Christians. Oh, I see. So, I think it's got some religious undertones to it. It does. It does. Yeah. It does. So, it's beautiful. It's neo-gothic or neo something. Yes, you'd expect vampires or something to come out the stacks. Me and Deliso are stood in front of the historic entrance to the library. Smack bang middle of the street. Us two are gawping at this massive wooden door. And it's a Saturday afternoon. People are trying to get past. It's stunning. It's decorated with two coats of arms and the initials J.R. It's one of those doors, you know, on a horror film when the victim's broken down and they go to the nearest house and knock on a big wooden door with a big door handle and it creaks open and there's no one there. Oh, it even say some words. Who signe la... Oh, no, I don't speak Latin. <laughs> that uh, I know a bit. So labore is work, terra is earth. So who sine labore Terra Lurum. Let's guess. Something, something works. He who works makes the earth go round. That's my guess. I think it might be something to do with that because he was a he was a mill owner. So yeah. So this was an academic library. Ah, bookish library. I see. Makes sense. Makes sense. And when it was built back in the day, in the in in the eighteen whatevers. All, all, it was highly industrialised around here. So if, if we're walking down the side here to the, the, en the new entrance, there's loads of like coloured glass, stained glass things. They don't make any pictures. It's no. just glass, stained glass in, in, in little configurations, not, not as you'd find in a church. No. At the time, if you look, because you can't see through them, it lets the light in, but you can't see through them. I would have done, you know, they've got stained glass. You know, in churches, it's stained glass, Jesus and stuff. But I would have... Like library types, you know, like William Shakespeare or, you know, just a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, something a bit more <laughs> themed, literature themed. So, yes. because if you looked outside, the reason why you can't see is because it was dirty out here. Oh, I see. It I was see. smoggy, it was horrible. So they didn't want, they didn't want people to see the general public of Manchester. Yeah. I mean, I love the outside. I think yeah. it's, it's striking stunning. and gorgeous. And it's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. But it also seems like a place, if there was an invasion, you could hold them off within. Yeah. Like, you could build a moat or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a sturdy building yeah. that I could take punishment. Hey, they don't... The library opened to the public on New Year's Day in 1900. It took 10 years and £200,000 to build, which is millions nowadays. 
And it was also one of the first public buildings in Manchester to be lit by electricity. Should we go in? And, and going in? Yeah, no, we're going to Are go. we able to speak or will you have to take a pause? Can speak. Can speak, it's a library. Yeah. Uh, you know what I've noticed? That you know the way that people get quiet when they're in a library, mm-hmm. right? People also get quiet when they're in a bookshop. <laughs> Even though there's no reason, you just feel the books, you have to be quiet around the book. There's an unwritten law of being quiet. Me and Deliso head into the modern entrance of the library to meet a member of the John Ryland's team. Hello, um, I'm here to see Natasha. Um, oh, okay, so you yeah, it's Victoria recording. And whilst we wait, we get obviously distracted by the gift shop. There's so many booky things to fit it with and, and fancy books for sale and stuff. I'm, I definitely read, um, I do not like reality. So if I'm going to read something, it better be set in a different time or set in a different world. So you like getting lost in a, an escapism in, in a book? Yes. So no chick lit for you? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what am I saying no? Actually, I do like some stuff that would be called chick lit. One of my favorite books is The Time Traveler's Wife. And so it's chick lit with a little bit of sci-fi. The library became part of the University of Manchester in 1972. It's now the third largest academic library in the UK. Yes, yeah, so it's owned by the university now. Makes sense. So I don't think this is in danger of closing anytime no, no, soon. No, no, no. It'll be fine. It'll be yeah. fine. But libraries are closing up and down the country. Right, right, right. One of the early In 2017, 105 libraries closed across Great Britain. That's 449 that have been closed across England, Scotland and Wales since 2012. Funding for libraries has been slashed year upon year by the government. Those that stay open are being forced to cut their opening hours. Also, to save costs, they're being asked to be run by volunteers. So please support your local library. Hello, Hi, Natasha. Nice to meet you. This is Deliso. Hello. Nice to meet you. Our John Ryland's guide, Natasha, arrives to take us to some places that the general public don't often get a chance to see. You are listening to Tories Podcast, an alternative Tory guide with the funniest people on the planet. And me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull. So, for because this is audio, you should know this guide is going to the upper galleries mm-hmm. of the John Ryland Library. So we follow Natasha up the entrance it. stairs and into the old building on our way to the historic reading room, the crowning glory of this magnificent building. We walk through a gothic corridor with incredible carved stonework, past an old printing press. We've only been here five minutes and Deliso is already impressed about what he's seen so far. People, you got to come do this. I suppose your podcast encourages people to come to the places where you go. Yes, it depends on what you think of it, really. <laughs> I think so far this is quite worth it. Do you like going to see old stuff? I'm more of a people tourist than a place tourist, right. but I often feel like going to somewhere with people is lovely. Yeah, you don't like going on your own, I like would to never share go the experience. Because I'm like, it's just a building. Right. But if there's someone with me, then we marvel together at yes. the little thing. We follow the corridor around and up the main staircase. That's made of stone as well. At the top of the stairs is one of my most favourite places in Manchester. It's the reading room here at John Ryland's. Now, wait. You've got to, no. We're about to enter a historic reading room. I sort of grabbed Aliso so he doesn't actually go into the room. I want to be with him to catch his reaction when he sees like the amazingness of the room. Deliso's never been here before. So as we both walk in, 
I wait to hear his reaction. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, to be honest. You know, like, when you show a friend a meme that you've been crying at for three weeks, and they go, huh, or or is Elisa quite contained when it comes to being excited? Like my dad, right? If he's found something enjoyable, he will say, oh, very good. And I know that he's having the best time. I think it's the latter. I think Deliso's like my dad. Anyway, Deliso, bless him, he's still worried about not whispering in the library. If we whisper... I don't think... I think it's fine. I think it's fine. You don't have to whisper, do you? No. Natasha says you don't have to whisper. because I always used to think libraries will kick you out. I think it's a Saturday. I think it's fine. Ah, it's fine. There's no one studying. And then the best thing happens. The one thing that can turn your trip from a good end to an excellent one. Someone with more authority than you unhooks a red velvet rope and walks into the previously closed area and beckons you through. We follow Natasha up a winding staircase that wouldn't be out of place in a fairy tale castle. Natasha's taken us to a bit where the public, I'm out of breath already, the public can't go. So we're going up this like concrete. We're going up a little uh, alcove, a stairway, which feels like a secret passageway, essentially. I am excited. I'm expecting to join some cult. (laughs) We step out of the stairwell and onto the second floor of the library's magnificent reading room. At each end of the room is two huge stained glass windows. We walk to the far end of the room, alongside waist-high stone walls that stop us from falling down onto the floor below. And we look at the visitors where we stood just two minutes previously, on the other side of the velvet rope. I, for one, am feeling quite smug about this. So it's this beautiful stone, very gothic, massive room, so impressive, so gorgeous, little alcoves with leather-bound books. And we're looking down at desks and carvings, and I, it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. It's absolutely stunning. You've got to come take a look, people. Also, even more entertaining is there are people walking around looking at the books and wondering why we are talking and looking at them. A little bit of paranoia I see on one or two of them. I am randomly going to point at somebody as I speak so they think that I am speaking about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just noticed that the stained glass windows from the inside actually do have people depicted on them, but I think they're saints, not library types. Oh, you're right. Actually, it is people who are more to do with uh, libraries. Erasmus is on it. He's not religious at all. So Moses is there, Thomas Aquinas. One window is dedicated to political thinkers, musicians and artists are depicted on one massive window at the end of the hall in beautiful stained glass. Oh, I see. Yeah, and then the other one is theology. So theology, saints, saints, Bible figures, religious yes. thinkers. There's a person with a very unfortunate name on the top called Hooker, oh. who I suppose, you know, he, he sold what he had to in order <laughs> to get his learning. Uh, we've got uh, Cartwright, John Edwards. Lovely. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. So these are old books, which... Yes, these are all the special collections. Uh-huh. Okay, but like ancient books, I suppose. Yes. So are we allowed to pick one up or not? No, we're not allowed no, to. No, we need gloves and special. Uh-huh. But there is something odd about books which are not read mm-hmm. because they were built to be read. 
As we look around shelf after shelf of books, I notice that the usually animated, loudly so, has become more quiet, reserved, reflective. Oxygen. When you see book collections like this, Deliso, do you get like, I want a book collection like this? No, I get, in a hundred years, I want to be on one of these shelves. Really? One of my books. Yeah. People, people with gloves on handling your handling books. Handling the Delisa Trapondas first novel, that would be great. Okay, maybe 500 years. <laughs> like that, when I've been forgiven for my sins. I'll give over. No, I'm expecting to rise and then fall massively. And then long after I'm dead, they reconsider my past and say, he wasn't so bad. We can start reading him again. So this, this, this second coming that you talked about earlier in the day, yes. you're, you're, you're expecting a fall from grace. A fall from grace. Oh, it's, it's, it's inevitable. A spectacular one, like how? I don't, I don't know what I'll do. Is it going to be with hookers? <laughs> no, <laughs> because nowadays that wouldn't even make you fall from grace. It would have to be, I don't even know what it would be. I'll publish something unsayable. So you're scared that's going to happen? There's a level of, I wake up every day and say, this, this wasn't meant to happen. I'm, I'm not meant to be doing well. Something's going to pull, pull the rug from under me. So there's always this disbelief which I have. Is, is, does that sort of infringe into imposter syndrome, I suppose? No. no. I don't even know what imposter syndrome is, but essentially it does make me work hard at trying to make sure it doesn't disappear. Yeah. There are people who are massively oh. famous and every day they expect it to be taken yes. away. Yeah, so I mean, at some level, yeah, imposter syndrome is wondering how you got here and people are going to figure you out one day and realize that, like, what is this guy? That! Just that. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I'm at a fancy hotel, I look around and I'm like, I don't belong here. <laughs> you do that. Library, though. You do I feel though. I well, Would you come to somewhere like this to, to write? I would. I would, definitely. Often I go to the brother of this, the central library, is where I write a lot. So that guy there, that is Mr. Ryland. Oh, is that John Ryland? I see. He's got, a, he's got a, a beard similar to like Lincoln. You know that old school beard where they'd have the beard and not the moustache? We need to bring that back. Maybe I need to do that for my next show. Just It's more like the whiskers, isn't it? It's like a whisker, whisker-based beard. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's thinking of growing a whisker-based no, no, beard? No, no, just having the beard and shaving the, the moustache off as John Ryland did. It'll do wonderful <laughs> for, your, for your profile. <laughs> I think I've snapped. Oh, this is how old this Can you believe that that's the second time in five podcasts that Abraham Lincoln is being brought up? He's not even Mancunian. And on both occasions, it was in reference to his beard. So in episode one with Katie Mulgrew, when we went to Elizabeth Gaskell's house, her husband William had a very similar beard, as Katie noted. Now a few Vic facts, if I may. John Rylands is actually home to the biggest online collection of Elizabeth Gaskell works and physically holds some of her personal papers and letters. Also, just across the road from the library is a bronze statue of Abraham Lincoln. Coincidence? I think not. And what Natasha says next really surprises me. But anybody can join the library. It's free to join. Anyone can join. That means you can too. They're also open seven days a week. Head to the John Rylands Library website for more details. Are you feeling inspired, Deliso? Yes. Yeah? <laughs> Go home and write. You come here and write. <laughs> well, you wouldn't believe that you're... I mean, it's so quiet and tranquil and peaceful. You wouldn't believe that you're actually on Deansgate. This yeah. is it. No, you wouldn't. It's, no, it's nice. It's very quiet. Shall we... Go and have a little... One of the yeah. Yes. Another velvet rope moment. 
Natasha says that we can go to one of the bookstores. I'm pretty freaking excited about this. I'm not sure how Deliso is feeling. I ask him what he thought of the reading room that we're just leaving. It is lovely. It's very lovely. I usually take people to um, museums. Yeah. But you've made me realise libraries are an awesome place too. And there's a few more in Manchester that, you know, apart from the central one, there's the Portico, there's the Chetham's Library. Yeah, it doesn't smell booky, does it? I've never really known what this booky smell is. Really? That people speak of. I, it's in a lot of books, but around old books, I've never got a specific like a fusty, other than dust. Fusty smell. <laughs> it doesn't smell fusty. Well done, Sasha. No, no, yeah. But these are well cared for books. Oh no, very well cared for. I think yeah. that fustiness is usually secondhand stores, and it's probably you're probably actually smelling the owner, not the books. <laughs> Do you know what? I've never looked at it like that. But you've got to be dead. Oh, how gross is that? Book smell is actually people yuck. Blah. We make our way down a lot of stairs to the bookstore and start thinking about what a grand gesture this was by Mrs. Ryland to build this incredible building for her husband. I wonder what Deliso's lady would build him. I don't know what she'd build. I just know she'd find someone else pretty fast. <laughs> what would you like to be built in your honour? I would like a statue of me holding a microphone. <laughs> I made that up. I don't really think that's what I'd want. But what I'd like built in my honor is a comedy club. Oh. Ah. <laughs> the Search Upon a Comedy Club. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what is this room we're in? So this is one of the stores. So we're now in the bowels Ooh. of the library. That bang then, you've just heard, that was a store door in the basement of the library, slamming shut. Which I don't think Deliso heard. I feel that if the door shut, we would never be seen again. <laughs> it is pretty What's remote. It? It's like the cask of Amontillado. It's so, like, removed from everything. So it's surrounded by books and books and books. And very ironically, a book here called The Unseen World. And it is unseen. <laughs> yes. Natasha, tell me, do you think, is it haunted? It is definitely so haunted. Apparently so. It's well, meant to be haunted, well, but I've seen anything myself. After tonight, we will find out that Natasha died 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you saw who? Natasha. Well, Natasha's not been here for 10 years. Amazing. <laughs> she died in a really weird book accident. <laughs> I am obsessed with haunted places. And honestly, this room is incredible. We're stood on a glass floor and there's shelf upon shelf of books. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like the library scene in Ghostbusters, but much smaller, much tighter for space. And on the shelves are these like little white walkie-talkies, like someone's listening to us. But turns out it's not even sinister at all. These measure the um, temperature, the humidity. It's a little, it's a little so white gadget. We've got them everywhere in, in the building. So what happens if it gets a bit humid, like high humidity? Well, it, we're alerted to it and then we can try and find out where the problem is. It's, it's a very tight fit. There's literally thousands of books that we're surrounded by. Uh, Irish sketches and miscellany. So there's humour down here. Oscar Wilde, his letters. Wow. You know the way you collect all these letters of Oscar Wilde and letters of George MacDonald and his wife? In a hundred years, we're not going to have Deliso's emails to his girlfriend. I just don't think emails have that gravitas. So it goes on for miles down there as well. So let us emerge from this. Yes. How do we get out? <laughs> we could stay here all day and explore, but Natasha's got a job to do and Delisa's got a day off. We wind our way back to where we started. 
And I want to see if Deliso recommends the John Rylands Library as a tourist destination for you. And make sure you note down his best bit. No, just this was a fabulous little um, little uh, excursion. It was absolutely lovely. And uh, do come come check out um, Ryland, John Ryland's library. What's the best bit? The best bit, I think, was when we went up above, there was like all, an old book section and we were looking at the, the stained glass windows and looking down on people. I just can't, I mean, every time I come here, I just can't believe I'm in the centre of Manchester. This is true. As I said before, I feel like I'm in Hogwarts. Yes. So Natasha, you've been lovely. Thank you so much. And we wish the lovely Natasha farewell and head out into the daylight. And I asked Elisa's final thoughts on the majestic John Ryland Library. It was fun. It was lovely. Yeah, I like books. I'd rather look at books than like dinosaurs. Are you leaving feeling like inspired? Like you want to go and write the best yes, shit you've I'm ever wrote in your life? I'm going to go write. It's also a new place which I will write in. And I had to ask Deliso, as his journey has been so incredible, what his top tips are for new comedians? All I would say is write all the time. Write every day. If you need to go to a library to write, if you need to go to a cafe to write, but just write and write and write. So write, write, write. Come to John Ryland's library and write, 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 write. Write! Write! It's next to our money. So on your way out, you can get a suit. <laughs> Thank you, Deliso. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope we've inspired you to visit your local library. It might not be as stunning as John Ryland's, but go and have a little nosy. John Ryland's library is open seven days a week and anyone, including you, can join for free. Find out the library's opening times, exhibition details and how to join on their website. That's library.manchester.ac.uk forward slash Rylands. They also have regular exhibitions on and events. Find out the latest on their Twitter at the John Rylands. Deliso's hilarious new DVD, What the African Said, is out now and was recorded live on his recent tour. Like all of our previous tour guys, Deliso is an absolute gig machine. To find out when he's gigging near you or the links to buy his new DVD, plus all things Deliso Chaponda, visit his website, delisochaponda.com. He's also on Twitter, and you've guessed what that Twitter handle is, at Deliso Chaponda. Did you enjoy your trip to John Ryland's library? A huge thank you for leaving your ratings and reviews. I'm so chuffed to bits that you love Tourist. And I'm really, really looking forward to making more in 2019. Who knows where we'll end up? And who with? More to the point. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, yes, you with that swanky iPhone, give us five stars, you beauts. Share, like, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. The next episode will be released in two weeks' time. And I can reveal we are going to Hatworks in Stockport. I will reveal your tour guide very soon on the tourist social media channels. See you in two weeks. Bring your passport. As you alight, please watch your step between the podcast and the platform.